Welcome back, friends. Lost Scarf here, and it's time for the newest Kirby's Dreamcast. Here we talk about everything Kirby, from the games to the anime to the manga and more, Kirby's Dreamcast. This podcast can be found ever a podcast or hosted and on YouTube. The advantage of the YouTube side is I put footage of what I'm talking about on screen. The YouTube side is especially worth looking at when we do gaming episodes, like today's episode, which will be covering Kirby's Star Stacker. I'll have images of the game manual and other things on the screen for the YouTube side. Also, the commercial. Like, there's only one commercial for Star Stacker and things like that, so it's always good to look at the YouTube side for the gaming episodes for sure. Also, all gameplay footage will be on the side channel Scarf Plays on YouTube if you want to see me play through the game. I 100% the game and it takes some time. As always, you can give us feedback on the YouTube version's comment section or at Kirby Dreamcast on Twitter. Quick news, we broke 50,000 downloads for our podcast. It's been a long time. I know it's been five years, so it's like 10,000 a year, but like, that's still good. We're getting more popular. We're getting more attention. So thank you to everyone who's been spreading us around. We get 100 downloads a day. That's great. A hundred more listens a day. Some of those are repeats. Some of those are new. And that's awesome. That makes me happy because, of course, I like talking about Kirby and educating people on Kirby. Like, Kirby's awesome. And I want you to know about everything Kirby. And that's what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. It's just going to take a while. So the goal of the gaming episodes is to tell you every detail I can find about the games inside and out. But sometimes there are gaps. Like, previous episodes had tie-in things like comics or music. And I didn't know that at the time like Kirby's Adventure, Music CD, or different mangas for some of the games. But for Star Stacker, I have everything as far as I can find. I can't find anything else. I have found everything I can possibly find on Star Stacker. So you can trust that this is like everything. It's all here. There isn't a lot, <laughs> but there is some stuff. One last thing to note is that all information was found through wikis like Wii Kirby, Rainbow Resort, the Kirby fandom, websites interviewing HAL staff about their games, sites that dug into the files like the cutting room floor, and just digging through old websites. There is not much on Star Stacker, but I did my best to look through all the Japanese website stuff. And yeah, there's not much, but I, I found what I found. <laughs> it is what it is. Star Stacker wasn't the most popular game or the most advertised game, which we'll talk about soon enough. So with everything set, let's go in order of how this episode's going to go. Similar to all previous games, it's going to go first. We'll talk about the status of HAL as a company since the last game. Second will be a background in the making of Kirby Star Stacker. Third will be advertising tie-ins to Kirby Star Stacker. Fourth is how well did the game sell. Fifth is the box art and game manual. Sixth is the game itself. I'll try to weave the game into a big story about Kirby, and there's kind of a story you can do with it. Seventh, any last interesting facts or glitches left to mention. And eighth, the credits and interesting facts about the stuff. And lastly, my reflection on the game and where I think it ranks up with all the games we've previously covered. By the way, the biggest section is probably going to be credits because there are some interesting credits in here. There's some very interesting people, for sure. So how is HAL doing at this time? So the last game was Kirby Superstar, which came out on March 21st, 1996, and Star Stacker comes out a year later on the 25th of January, 1997. After Kirby Superstar, Masahiro Sakurai will be busy developing Super Smash Bros. with Nintendo, and other members of HAL staff will be working on other games. At this time, Shinichi Shimomura is working on Kirby's Dream Land 3 and is essentially director number 2 when it comes to Kirby mainline games while Hitoshi Yamagami directed Kirby's Star Stacker. Interestingly, this is the second time someone not from HAL was the director. Hitoshi was Nintendo staff and had already made a name for himself with credits on games like Fire Emblem and Metroid. He also co-created Panel de Pan, the game that would be reskinned into Tetris Attack and then the Pokemon version years later. There is a lot to say about him, but we'll talk about him in the credits section. Also, this is Kirby's second puzzle game, if you consider Kirby's Avalanche the first one. And speaking of that, I forgot to mention the director for that game was also Nintendo staff, so that's the first time HAL had a game directed by someone not from HAL, was Avalanche. 
So it seems like the puzzle games are the ones they do it on. So as you can see, side games were being developed with Nintendo's help, so HAL could make money and pay off its debts to Nintendo. So we're talking about a year in HAL between March 1996 and January 1997. So Kirby Superstar is the big money maker at this point, helping HAL pay their debts back to Nintendo, which is halfway being paid off at this point. Remember, HAL went bankrupt in 1992 and got bought into second party under Nintendo. In 1993, Satoru Iwata swore they would pay off their debt of 1.5 billion yen back to Nintendo in six years, so we're halfway there. The birth of Kirby made this possible, and here we are three years in with millions of sales thanks to Kirby, and they were doing pretty well in the debt repayment department. Over its lifetime, Kirby Superstar would sell approximately 1.44 million copies, so without helping them out, Hal wasn't stressing too much. Which is good, because Hal wouldn't sell too well for a little while. Star Stacker and Dreamland 3 were not big hits, unfortunately, and we'll cover that when we get there. Now let's talk about the making of Kirby Star Stacker. Unfortunately, there is nothing on the making of Kirby Star Stacker, which is unfortunate because I really want to know who came up with this puzzle style. It most likely is the director, uh, Hitoshi Yamagami, or the chief designer, Kazuo Ozawa, because both of them have been a part of making puzzle games. But who knows? That's the problem. That is the problem. But because of his history with Panel de Pond, it most likely is or another co-creation with the chief designer here uh, going on. So it's either one or the other or both together figuring it out. That's the best way to put it. The game would release on January 25th, 1997 in Japan and July 7th, 1997 in the US and October 20th, 1997 for the EU. When it comes to advertising and tie-ins, there's a Japanese commercial and the Japanese commercial was two blonde white boys riding a big floating Kirby while they play the game on their Game Boys and there's stars sparkling around and it's a short 15 second video. Now, why this title works for this is because the Japanese name for Star Stacker is Kirakita Kizu, which means Sparkling Kids. So there you go, Sparkling Kids with Kirby. What is that title? <laughs> what exactly is that title, though? I don't understand the title whatsoever. I don't think that helped with selling the game at all. I think Star Stacker is just such a better name. In print, there was a single print ad in Japanese and in English. Not much there, but it's something. Kirby Star Stacker was very much treated as an afterthought, unfortunately which really doesn't help, but I guess they were saving money or so they could advertise Kirby's Dream Land 3, which would be almost finished and coming out later in 1997, so I think that was the planning there. So how well did it sell? It only sold 69,000 nice copies in Japan, and we don't have the numbers for the rest of the world. We can assume we didn't get international sale numbers because there just wasn't enough sales for them to want to track that, but Japan is one country. Japan does buy a lot of games, but let's say Japan is like half of all sales, so then or a third of all sales. So let's say 200,000 copies were sold worldwide. Not amazing, but not bad. That probably kept the lights on a little bit. But I would blame the low advertising and the fact it's a spinoff and a very random idea. So it's not a big surprise it wasn't a hit. The one that's going to be a big surprise is when we get the Dreamland 3, but I should stop talking about that game already. So now let's look at the box art. The US cover is a very cute Kirby flying on a warp star with the title above him and blocks in the background. It's a pretty good cover. For the Japanese side, it is Kirby sitting back on a warp star and waving at us with the blocks in the background, and the title having Kirby on it too. I like a combination of both, honestly. I just, I think it should be Kirby going down with the warp star, that's very cute, and then having Kirby on the title as well. More Kirby is not a bad thing. I like it a lot. Now, for the back side, you have a colored background with two images of gameplay and a paragraph to sell you on the game. It reads, Join Kirby as he stacks the falling stars with help from his friends, Rick, Kine, and Q. King Diddy is out to stop you. With a few quick moves and some well-timed strategy, you can quickly outwit him and move on to the next challenging level. Kirby's Star Stacker features pure puzzle fun for everyone, 
From above, blocks rain down constantly. From below, whole lines appear with unrelenting clock-like regularity. Simply sandwich the stars between Kirby's pals, and you'll soon be on your way to the highest score. I think it's a pretty good description of the game. It's a very good description. What I like is every time you see descriptions of the game, it's them trying to explain you how the game works, which I guess makes sense. One of the images also shows you can play on Super Game Boy, which is a good selling point, I think. Because then you get color, and that's always nice. The game manual covers the same image as the cover of the box, and gives some more information on the story of the game, and has cute pictures. The story section says, Kirby needs to stack the stars. With three close friends, Rick, Kind, and Q, you can help. Playing is quite easy. Just sandwich one or more stars between two like friends. It's just that simple. Forming chains is super easy, too. In the twinkle of an eye, you can set off a chain reaction that just might clear everything. Play alone or with a friend, there are four different game types, each one satisfying in its own way. So what are you waiting for? Start the game right now. And like I said before, like they just they keep explaining everything in case it's just not obvious how the game works. And yeah, it does take a moment to realize how the game does work. And it also isn't lying. Sometimes you can chain and clear the whole thing, and it is a great feeling. Like, there's a mode called Round Clear, that's the main bulk of the game. I feel like they could have named it Puzzle Rounds or something like that, because some of the levels are, if you figure out the first piece, you can clear everything. Maybe they should have just had a separate mode where it was puzzles for that. Because it's pretty fun to just see blocks just go down. It's pretty cool. So the manual shows a bunch of cute images of Kirby and in depth explain how to play the game. We also get to explain the various blocks in the game. There are six blocks total. Three blocks are the friend blocks, Rick, Kind, and Koo. Then you've got the star blocks, which you need to clear if you want to, well, win the game. And then there's bomb blocks, which clear a row, and hard blocks that you need to clear twice to get a star clear. They also explain that every couple turns a row of blocks will rise from the bottom, and it also explains the game modes, but I'll explain those when I talk about them in the game itself. For the YouTube side, I am now showing all the different game manual Kirby's, but I'll describe them too. One is the title image, next is Kirby sleeping cutely, then Kirby holding a star block, then Kirby worried about falling blocks, and lastly, Kirby generating stars. It's pretty cool he can summon stars, it's like a nice looking image. And now it's time for my favorite part of these sections, that is talking about the game itself and trying to make a story here. And yeah, it's going to be a little fanficy, in that I need to explain how you can make a story out of this, because there's basically no story. But it's more fun having a story, so here we go. So the first thing we see is Dreamland in Kirby's house, and a star flying out of the chimney of his house. And flying up, and we see Kirby's on the star, and then it flies into the title screen, which is a cute Kirby holding the warp star while waving at the player. If you're on Super Game Boy, this is all in color, and you get blocks of Kirby, Kind, Koo, and Rick on the borders. It's just very cute, they then explain the rules of the game. The player collects stars by placing them between Kirby's animal friends on the board. Whenever it's the same friend, they collect the stars. If it's different friends, nothing happens. Whenever a player gets close to losing, King Dedede gets really happy, and whenever it's time for new blocks to appear, he gets mad and hammers the board to make more pieces appear from below. The goal is to collect the number of stars needed, or to last as long as possible. There's also Chains, which is when the player makes multiple clears in a row, and this is rewarded with Kirby summoning more stars that get instantly collected and can cause more chain clears. Losses happen when the spot where pieces appear from the top gets blocked and King Dedede laughs happily. So when you go into the game, you can see multiple choices, round clear versus challenge, time attack, rules, and record. Now with all that out of the way, let's tell a story. One day, Kirby decides to leave home and check on his friends Rick, Kind, and Koo. He finds them and they picnic together. King Dedede then finds them and challenges Kirby to a new game he came up with called Star Stacking. He says you just use your minions to stack stars together, and whoever can stack the most in the fastest time, or last the longest, or clear the rounds made by King Dedede, wins! Kirby is intrigued, but he doesn't have an army of minions like King Dedede. But King Dedede says no problem, and whips out this prototype machine he has. It makes many copies of someone, but it does it by splitting them into a bunch of smaller versions of themselves. Kirby isn't sure about this, but before he can object, 
King Dedede grabs the three animal friends and throws them into the machine. Now there's hundreds of little ricks, kinds, and coos. If Kirby wants them to come back together again, he'll have to gather the power of the stars the power of the undo button on the machine. So with no other option, Kirby accepts King Dedede's terms. So first up, Kirby goes against King Dedede's round clear games, starting with the baseline normal rounds. Before they start, Kirby gets some juice for himself and his little friends. But on the way back, he trips and throws it all at King Dedede. Oops! King Dedede says, Hey Kirby, this means war. If you can stack this many stars, you win! Wally Waddle Dee wipes him off. And so it begins. Kirby's presented with a number of puzzling situations to gather stars to power the machine and get the hang of this game. Fortunately, these first puzzle rounds can mostly be cleared with a single move. Kirby shows great confidence as he plays, so his furry friends are easily able to gather the stars for Kirby. They then take a short break after four rounds, and we can see Rick protect Kine from some apples. After that, there's some puzzles, and Kirby quickly finishes all eight rounds. With the power of the stars, Kirby is able to reform Rick, and he does a little Kirby dance. And King Dedede says he needs more time to devise some more puzzles, so Kirby and Rick go have a little picnic together, and share with little Kinds and Coos off-screen. After the picnic, King Dedede laughs as he throws Rick back into the machine. Kirby needs to gather more star power if he wants to combine all three of them, because one of them won't be enough. Then after placing the hard rounds, King Dedede says, When you lose, I get to laugh at you. Big time! <laughs> Kirby readies himself with his little friends and pushes forward with the star stacking. Since these are harder rounds, they take more time and less can be cleared with a single move, but Kirby still clears them well just the same. Still, Kirby's face is a little more worried. Eventually, after four rounds, they take a short break and a mini-coup plays with a mini-kind. Then the rounds continue and introduce the bomb blocks, which are dangerous since they clear rows, but thankfully don't hurt anyone. After four more rounds, they take another break and a sleeping mini-rick almost gets crushed under some stars. After the twelfth round, a mini-kind swims around happily until a star falls on it and bonks him. After the 16th round, Kirby is able to gather enough power to reform Kine, and he then does a Kirby dance. While they wait for King Diddy to set the next rounds, Kirby and Kine go play pirates with the minis. Kine gets to be the boat! Kine always has to be the boat. The minis are somewhere on the back of Kine. After returning from their fun, King Diddy grabs Kine and throws him into the machine to split up again. He then brings up the very hard rounds with his Waddle Dee army and says, What do you think? Lots of work, huh? It will get much, much faster. And then the new rounds begin, and as King Dedede said, the pieces are moving way faster now. Kirby makes a face of determination as he plays through. The stages get rougher, but Kirby gradually muddles his way through. Eventually, after four rounds, Minnie, Rick, and Kine play with balls. Then after the eighth round, another break is taken, where Kine and Koo play tag for a while. Then the hard blocks introduced in round nine. They take some work to deal with, but Kirby eventually overcomes them as well. And another break happens around round 12, where Rick jumps over Kine until he gets tired of it and knocks Rick over. Then finally, after the 16th round, Kirby gathers all the stars and does a Kirby dance, and he's able to... Combine Rick and Koo! It's almost everyone. Although it for even more rounds from King Diddy, Kirby rides in a basket with Koo carrying him and Rick and the mini Kines. After their sky venture, King Diddy grabs the pair and throws them back into the machine. Now it's time for the super hard rounds. King Diddy huffs and puffs from tiredness from making these rounds and yells in frustration, Shoot, shoot, shoot! Think you can win? Think again! Kirby gets weirded out by how big these rounds are, but pushes forward, and right from the start it is challenging with lots of hard blocks, and faster moving pieces. Still, Kirby pushes forward for his friends. As usual, they take a break after four rounds, and Koo tries to fight a strong win, but eventually fails. Then after the eighth round, another break happens where Kine plays with a balloon, but a star knocks him down. Round nine is especially mean with two columns of hard blocks. Still, after more effort, they clear the 12th round and take another break where all three friends play. Koo tries to keep Kine in the air, but Rick has a funny idea and hits them all with a ball. 
After four tough-as-heck rounds, Kirby has a Kirby dance and reforms all three of his friends. Yay! King DDD then rages and says he'll make a group of rounds so tough, Kirby can't possibly make it through. Full of confidence, the four say they'll be back and enjoy the winter together. Yeah, it takes a while for the next rounds to be made, because there's a bunch. Returning in the spring, Kirby and friends find King Diddy and his army exhausted. Looks like they tirelessly worked the entire time, and it shows. There's 50 rounds to clear in insane mode. Kirby's friends jump into the machine, and they all get ready to show King Diddy once and for all he can't mess with him. King Diddy says, Don't let your head get so big. I haven't really even begun yet. He really says that. In the final rounds. Oh my god. He also confidently bets two of his spacecraft on this one. They need lots of star power to work, by the way, so Kirby's gotta do all these rounds to do it. But then Kirby and friends get to it. And quick aside, this is a slog. It took me four or five hours to finish it all because some rounds take ten minutes to clear. It's a lot of star gathering and trying not to lose with fast-moving pieces, and they're very fast. It's a marathon run from start to finish. Kirby and friends press through an endless barrage of rounds. Every now and then the rounds are quick, but many are long since Kirby needs the power of hundreds of stars to continue forward. With the power of friendship and determination, Kirby and friends push through and after 50 rounds they gather 7,120 stars total. Kirby enjoys a Kirby dance while his three friends recombine. The Waddle Dee army are amazed and clap for their success while King Diddy falls over in shock. Kirby hops in one of the ships and the other three jump into the other and they fly off into space for some joyriding. Who flies the second ship, by the way? Honestly, Insane is just a long slog and a pain in the butt, but I had to 100% the game, so I pushed through it. I can't imagine I'm going to 100% some of these later Kirby games. There are a couple levels where you can only make four moves before you lose, and you can only rely on luck giving you the pieces you need. If not for those few levels, I'd call this a well-crafted puzzler section, because a lot of these are pretty interesting ideas, but they're like, we gotta make 50, and so they do some really dumb ideas, and it ruins the game. It really does. It just mars how fun the game is, and it's frustrating because a lot of it is very well crafted. The concept's pretty interesting and pretty fun, and once you understand the game well, you can do a lot of fun work with it, but it's frustrating how they did these things that require RNG to succeed, and that sucks. So out in space, Mr. Star was watching, and he challenges Kirby and friends to collect over 1,000 stars in our long marathon run. Kirby and friends accept and eventually do so. It takes a while, a very, very long while, but Mr. Star cheers them on the whole time. After 1,152 stars, they finally lose, and Kirby takes a break with his friends. The four then return home and find TikTok Jr. challenging them in the name of his King Dedede's honor. Can they collect over 100 stars in three minutes? It takes a couple tries, but eventually they do pull it off, and TikTok Jr. is angry but admits defeat. And so Kirby has overcome all challenges. Kirby and friends happily dance and parade with joy with the Waddle Dee army, who had been watching the whole time. Their king won't admit Kirby's supremacy, but they will. So they give Kirby a crown to commemorate his supremacy in Star Stacker. The end. So yeah, you need to beat all round clears and get 100 plus stars in time attack and 1000 stars in challenge mode to 100% the game. And you get a crown on Kirby's head on the title screen. And in Super Game Boy, the border changes to lots of stars with a blue background and Kirby and his friends in new positions. And it's pretty cool. By the way, this is the only Super Game Boy game that did this. Hal, as always, does something new and different. That's pretty cool. So the only story I can't tell is Kirby vs. Waddle Dee, since I can't do two players, since you need to have two physical Game Boys for it, and two copies, and the link cable. Don't have those! I had to play this digitally, because I just don't have the means to record this from a Game Boy. So lastly for this story section, I'll describe and show all the illustrations you get in-game before moving on. So I already described some of them, but let's go over them all. 
First, in normal difficulty clear, which is Kirby picnicking with Rick, it's very cute seeing Kirby and Rick sitting back to back and having fruit and sandwiches. For hard difficulty, it's Kirby with a pirate hat and a sword and it's standing on Kine, who is dressed up like a pirate ship. He has an anchor at his bottom, a cannon tied to his side, and a sail tied to his top fin. They look like they're having a lot of fun too, by the way. Very hard difficulty is Kirby and Rick in a basket in the sky being carried by Koo. It's a cool perspective shot, really. Super hard difficulty is Kirby with Rick, Kine, and Koo in his house, and they're looking at the snow outside. And there's a King Dedede snowman that they made. It's interesting seeing them here because you can see Kine is huge. He's a big boy. Oh my god. Insane difficulty is Kirby in a spaceship waving back at his buddies flying a second spaceship, and they are crammed in there. But how Kine, again, is huge in there is amazing. He's just really crammed into that ship. And in the background of this, you can see Popstar, so they are definitely in space. For challenge mode, you get four different illustrations. The first one is Kirby with Kine and Rick on each of his sides, and under them it says, good job, let's take a break. Second one is a bit rougher, it shows all four characters unhappy. Kine's crying, Kirby's frowning with a star almost falling on him, but Koo slaps at the star out of the way, and Rick is laying down frowning too. Under it says, well, cool, try a little more. So evidently you get this if you lose early in challenge mode. Another is an image of Kirby waving at us with Kine, Koo, and Rick in the background, and it says, great, play with me again. And lastly is Kirby patting Rick on the back happily and under it, it says, Hooray, you're number one! So one would assume you get this for being the top score. I should describe that too, the top score screen is Kirby happily cheering while surrounded by a pile of stars. It says good job at the top and you see your scores, so that's cool. And the last thing to describe is the versus screens. You need two Game Boys and two copies of Star Sacker to play in the link cable. Player one is Kirby, player two is Waddle D. If Kirby wins, then you'll get a happy Kirby in the bottom right corner and it says winner and shows your win-loss record. If you lose the round, it shows Loser at the top, and it's Kirby with his back turned to us, and a sweat drop on his head in the dark spotlight. For player two, if you get Winner, it's Waddle D triumphantly standing with his foot on Kirby while he's crouched on the ground. And it says Winner at the top, and Waddle D holds a sign that says Champ. And if player two loses, it says Loser at the top, and Waddle D staring off into the ocean. Sad. While a hermit crab and star stare at him. And that's everything for the game. So now it's time for interesting facts and glitches worth mentioning. As of this recording, it would be released on the 3DS Virtual Console, and that's it. This is the only game to not feature female characters besides Kirby's Toy Box. It also has the longest full game speed run, which is 4 hours, 17 minutes, 37 seconds, and 31 milliseconds. Not that many interesting facts, yeah, but that is what it is. But here's something interesting because of the cutting room floor. That's the differences between the Japanese version and everywhere else. In the Japanese version, Kirby has Dango for the normal mode clear for Japan. Well, in the US version, it's a marshmallow, which is, you could have just kept the dango. I'm sure it would have been fine. And then for the challenge mode, the pictures are as a photo reel, while as for everyone else, it's just not a photo reel, it's just a screen. I don't know why they took that out. It's not a very big detail to care about. And lastly, when Kirby wins in the Japanese version, he cries tears of joy, very big tears of joy, and he kind of resembles the Japanese imperial flag, which I guess they didn't want to have that in the international version. Alright, now time for some really interesting stuff. The credits for Kirby Star Stacker. First up, we have the director, Hitoshi Yamagami. I already said a bit about him already. He co-created Panel de Pond, which later became Tetris Tech and the Pokemon version. He is a Nintendo legend who worked on many games we all know. He started in 1989 as a debugger for Nintendo, working on the first Fire Emblem and Metroid 2. His first director job was Yoshi's Cookie in 1992. He would later direct Mario Tennis, Tetris Attack, Panel de Pond before directing... Kirby's Star Stacker, he would direct and make puzzles for the Pokemon version of Tetris Attack. He also directed every Mr. Game & Watch gallery collection. In 2003, he became a producer and produced tons of games. He's on the credits for many Pokemon, Fire Emblem, and F-Zero games. By his retirement in 2020, he was on the credits for 199 games. Quite the career. 
He would not do another HAL game until 2011 with Kirby's Return to Dreamland, where he was a producer, and producer again for every Kirby game until his retirement. So his last Kirby game would be Super Kirby Clash. The chief programmer was Katsuhiro Sakoda, and this is his only chief programming credit. He was a HAL man his whole career. His first game was the Vegas Stakes game, which was developed by HAL and published by Nintendo in 1995. All of his works are, of course, HAL, and he'll be on 14 other Kirby projects, including Dreamland 3 and Super Smash Bros. His only non-Kirby credit is Box Boy plus Box Girl. His last credit is currently Kirby's Dream Buffet as team support. He also worked on Kirby in the Forgotten Land, but not on Return to Dreamland Deluxe. Maybe he's retired or working on the next game. Who knows? There were two programmers. First is Yasuyuki Nagashima. This is their first ever credit. They'll eventually work on six more Kirby games, with Superstar Ultra being their last. All jobs as programmers, except Air Ride, where they were technical support. Second programmer was Hiroki Suga, and they were also producer on the project. Hiroki Suga is a HAL legend. Potentially, they were a founding member since they worked on F1 Racer, which was the third game HAL ever made in their first year of game development. We talked about him before when we covered Kirby's Dream Course, which was his second Kirby credit, Kirby's Adventure being the first. He would work on nearly every Kirby game until his retirement in 2016 after supervising Planet Robobot. He produced all the Kirby games between Dreamland 3 and DDD's Drum Dash Deluxe, and that was his last credit. The chief designer for the game was Kazu Ozawa. We mentioned them in Kirby Superstar credits before. They started as character designer on Adventure, then designer for Superstar and Smash Bros. 64. Then they got to be chief designer for Star Stacker before going on to be graphic designer for random Pokemon games. Their last credit was Pokemon Ranger in 2006 as graphic designer. There were four designers. First was Shigeru Hashiguchi. They have 25 credits at All Under Hell. Started with Arcana in 1992 as director and scriptwriter. Then did design for various Kirby games, starting with Adventure. Their last design game was Return to Dreamland. They then went on to team support from 2016-2020 with every game under hell. So their newest game credit is Kirby Fighters 2. Second designer was Michiko Takahashi, who would later become Michiko Sakurai. That's right, this is Sakurai's wife and her first game ever. She started out as a designer with Star Sakurai and then designed menus and maps in the first Smash Brothers. Before coming back and designing for Kirby 64, then going back to design menus, and characters and stages for Smash Bros. Melee. Her last Kirby credit would be Kirby's Air Ride alongside her husband, unless you count the Smash games as Kirby games. And who doesn't? <laughs> she would work on every Sora LTD game, with her last credit currently being Smash Ultimate with UI design. In case you're curious, they got married in 2008, around the time Brawl was released, so that's about 12 years of them knowing each other when they got married. Third designer was Shinya Sano, and he has a random career. He was a Nintendo man. His first game was Super Metroid doing printed artwork, then designing for a game called Telero Boxer before designing for Kirby Star Stacker. This would be his only Kirby game. He'd move on to work on Pokemon Stadium, Mario Land 3 and 4, and then work on some Mario sports games, eventually coordinating Yoshi's Crafted World and lastly returning to Hell to be project manager for Box Boy and Girl. I don't know if he's retired, but that last game was in 2019, but he does have big years long gaps before credits, so who knows. Fourth designer was Tadashi Hashikura. We talked about him in the past. He worked on HAL since 1990 and worked on the game that killed HAL, Metal Slater Glory. His first Kirby game was Kirby's Adventure. He would continue to design work to varying degrees in various Kirby games and Smash Bros. up to Melee. He's still active doing field artist work for Forgotten Land and Return to Dreamland Deluxe. This means this guy has been with HAL for 33 years. Wow. Surprisingly, the sound composers were Jun Ishikawa and Hidokazu Ando. Both are amazing composers who have worked on every Kirby game, but the music here just isn't that great. I'm surprised! Best guess is they made some serviceable songs for Star Stacker while working on Superstar and later Dreamland 3. The best songs were definitely the title screen and the challenge info song. The illustrator was Tetsuya Natoya, and we've talked about him before. 
Tetsuya Natoya worked for HAL from 1993 to 2012, where he did graphic design, illustrations, and artwork. He likely made all the Kirby assets for the game and all the endgame drawings, of course. His last game was artwork for Kirby's Dream Collection in 2012, and a special thanks in 2014 for Kirby Triple Deluxe. There were two manual editors, one was Shinya Sano, we've talked about them already, and then there's Fujiko Nomura. Fujiko did a lot of manuals over their career, and this was their only Kirby from what I can find. They did a lot of Pokemon game manuals like Mystery Dungeon and Emerald, and their last art jobs were Pokemon Battle Revolution and Mother 3. Now there's five special things. First one is Hal's debug team. Whoever they were did a very good job because I did not encounter bugs. Second credit, Super Mario Club, which is the debug team for Nintendo, so good job to them too. Then we've got three special thanks. First is Satoshi Ishida. Satoshi Ishida will be on a ton of special thanks, starting with New Ghostbusters 2 in 1990. The first Kirby credit is Kirby's Dream Course. They were on the debugging team for Earthbound. They will be in the credits for public relations in many Kirby games. So they've been with HAL for decades and mostly get recognized in special thanks. The newest special thanks are Kirby Style Allies, Super Kirby Clash, and Kirby Fighters 2. Chieko Opakane, same as Ishida, they will be getting a lot of special thanks. First one was Kirby's Dream Course also in public relations, and was also on the debugging team for Earthbound. Their newest special thanks is Kirby's Fighters 2 as well. Last special thanks is Takahiro Harada, and he has been with Nintendo since 1987. His career is almost as old as me. He worked on Super Mario Land, he was a programmer, then coordinator, and advisor, and producer. He was a coordinator during this point in Kirby's life, so he was likely helping with coordination in some fashion. He'll get another Kirby credit for Dreamland 3, and that's it. The project manager was... Ryuki Kuraoka, and they will be again for Dreamland 3, Smash Bros. 64, and Melee, and Kirby's Air Ride. He'll debug or test some of the 2000 Kirby games, and his last credit was Squeak Squad. And the producer was Hideoki Suga, and we already talked about him earlier. Then there's the chief producer, which is Satoru Iwata, the legend and president of HAL at the time. The Superman of programming, you have him to thank for Earthbound and for Pokemon Gold and Silver. He carried HAL on his back with the help of Masahiro Sakurai and Kirby, and Nintendo to bring HAL to where it is now, and then Nintendo before his death from cancer in 2015. The Switch was something he was spearheading. So, he was with HAL from day one, and we will need to do a separate episode on this man's life, because oh my god. But he was then the president of Nintendo from 2000 to 2015, he was there for Wii, Wii U, and was spearheading the Switch before he passed. This guy was amazing when it comes to the Nintendo-verse. Then you have the general manager, who was Takahiro Izushi, and he joined Nintendo as an engineer in 1975, and this is his first Kirby credit, but he'll be back for Dreamland 3. He was producer on many Pokemon and Fire Emblem games. He never comes back to Kirby after Dreamland 3, unless you count Smash Bros. <laughs> and finally, we have the executive producer, Hiroshi Yamauchi, the president of Nintendo. He had a special place in his heart for Satoru Iwata, and that's why he helped Hell, and why he made him his successor to take over Nintendo when he retired. This is the man that saw Nintendo pre-NES up to the GameCube when he had Iwata replace him. The man was president of Nintendo for 52 years. That is crazy. Now time for the final section of this podcast, my reflections on the game and where does it stand amongst the others in the Kirby game pile. The music's okay. The gameplay can be fun, but not as great as other games of this genre, and for the most part, the game, well, is just, just fun. That's it. I think this is the middest of the mid-Kirby games. That's the best way to put it. But some of the insane levels, like, they're really fun. Some are a marathon, and some are absolute trash. A lot of the gameplay is fun. Like, challenge is fun. Time attack is fun. Ground clear is mostly fun. Again, Insane has some trash levels. There's like 10 of them. So overall, there's like 100 levels. So 10% of this game is trash. Not mediocre, not okay, actual trash, because it's relying purely on random luck to give you the pieces you need 
And that is frustrating with how dumb it is. That should never be a thing. I think I said it earlier, but in case I didn't, there is a level where you only have four moves, and if you don't randomly get the right pieces, you automatically lose. It is trash. Whoever designed those levels should feel bad. That's it. Honestly, Star Sacker can be fun at times, but there isn't a lot there. I think some dialogue to give it a story could have helped, which I think they realized later because they made Super Star Stacker on the SNES. So we'll be covering that eventually because that comes after Dreamland 3. The real debate I have to ask myself when it comes to ranking this game is, is it better or worse than Block Ball? One saving grace with Star Stacker is that once you realize you only need to focus on the two middle columns, you can get through every challenge. Minus the ones with limited moves and random chance, like I said earlier. From there, I actually evolved my gameplay and I was realizing how to set up combos and I had a lot more fun. So you do get smarter with this puzzler. It's just, boy, is it a tough ride until you get to that point. So looking at where all the games currently stand, in the overall list it is 10th place is Kirby's Toy Box, probably always going to be to Kirby's Toy Box. 9th place is Kirby's Block Ball. 8th place, Star Stacker. That's right, Star Stacker is 8th place. Finish the list, 7th is Avalanche, so I think Avalanche is better than Star Stacker. Then 6th is Pinball Land, then Dreamland, then Dreamland 2, Adventure, Dream Course, and lastly, Kirby Superstar. Hey, look at that, we actually have a top 10 list now. Star Stacker is just less punishing than Block Ball, but less fun than Avalanche. I actually really enjoy Avalanche over this one. There's also because there's some story to it, and it's kind of fun having Kirby be kind of a jerk in that one. And we'll see where Superstar Stacker lands in the future. It does have story, and it should be better, so who knows where that one goes. So that's it for now. We should be putting up a new version of Episode 20 on the YouTube site sometime this month, and either a new anime episode in December or a second light novel. I think I'll put it up to viewers to decide, and listeners, to decide what episode they want to see next. And that's it. I won't be completing Kirby's Dream Buffet yet this year. I just, it's such a chore at this point to 100% it. I wish it wasn't, but it is. But eventually next year, I will 100% Dream Buffet and do a talk about it and do a review on it. So expect that. And also expect us to get to maybe episode 50 by the end of 2024 for the anime. The plan is to do more anime episodes because we did fall off for a while. But we will also work on Kirby's Dream Land 3 and hopefully maybe Superstar Stacker next year as well. We're going to aim for an episode a month, and we'll see if we pull that off. And yeah, we have just years of content to go. We are far from done. So it's not like I'm trying to be slow on purpose. I just am, unfortunately. It takes a lot of time to work on these, honestly. So that is it for this episode of the Kirby's Dreamcast. Share us with your friends on YouTube and on the podcast side. The more people watch us and listen to us, the better. Because then, yay, like I'm going to do this no matter what, but I want more people to hear it. It's more rewarding that way. <laughs> and also, the more people enjoy it, the better. I, Kirby's all about fun. I want everyone to have fun. So thanks for coming by and see you next time.